Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Enneagram Story Podcast. I am your host, Raylan Williams. I'm so thankful that you are joining me today as I get the opportunity to sit and have a conversation with Gene Stevens. Uh, if you're new to the podcast, this podcast is a weekly podcast where I discuss how the Enneagram can be one of the most beneficial tools in helping us become better people. And I want to tell you a little bit about today's show, but before I go there, allow me to tell you about something that's happened in my life recently. At the time that we are recording this episode, which is late January of 2023, um, I have been blessed with um, enough money by Evangel University to finish paying off this last semester. Um, it was looking very uh, tough to understand how that was going to be paid because the way we planned things before the semester started it just did not turn out. And I've, I was already uh, a week and a half behind on assignments because I didn't have access to my assignments because I didn't pay my bills. So that was a big blessing. Um, but on top of that, I just announced uh, my latest project that I'm working on, which is Stage University. And what Stage University is, is an online video learning platform that will teach vocalists and instrumentalists and public speakers um, important elements of stage presence and how to connect with the audience, engage the audience in the moment, especially within church service. So I'm so excited for that. Hopefully that will be released um, at the end of this summer. Um, very working very hard to get it done. Um, just to see how far that that idea has come from concept to where it is now. That progress is astronomical, and I'm so excited for this. Um, I, I can't wait to share the preview with everyone who wants to be a part of it. Um, so about today's show. Today's show, like I said, we're going to sit and have a conversation with Jane Stevens, and we're going to talk about her newest book. What's here now? How to stop rehashing the past and rehearsing the future and start receiving the present. But we're also going to talk about being present and the work that it takes to stay present. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about Jean. Jean Stevens is the founding and co-lead pastor of Soul City Church in Chicago. And it is one of America's fast, fastest growing urban churches. And prior to starting Soul City Church, Jean was on the pastoral staff at Willow Creek Community Church and North Point Community Church. And as a sought-after speaker, leader, and writer, Jean's passion is to help people wake up to their purpose as they pursue a life of wholehearted freedom. Jean lives in Chicago with her husband, Jared, and their two children. I could go on to tell you about Jean, but why not hear from her herself? So let's jump right into today's episode. Hi. Hey. How are you doing? How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. Just today we got some snow in missouri so it's been a pretty chill day no, nothing's going yes. out the roads are same same it's snowing here in chicago so uh, i don't mind being off of school but i hate snow <laughs> no. where do you go to school evangel university okay in springfield it's five years i'm so ready to be done I bet you are. I bet you are. It's awesome. I'm so grateful that you invited me to be a part of the podcast. Oh, yes. I thank you for agreeing to it because 
I am just over the moon. I read your book and I was like, all right, this has got to happen. Mm, well, thank you so much. I'm glad that it was an encouragement to you. Oh, yeah, definitely. I'm going to talk a little bit more about why I like it so much uh, as we go on. But um, great, great. Let, let's just get to it again. Thank you for being okay. here. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I have a heart. I don't know how long your show is. Um, how long do you tend to like it to be? I try to keep it under 45. No more than an hour, really. I've been run over. Okay. So an hour to okay, 45 great. minutes to hours where I try to keep it. So. Great. Yeah. I have a hard stop um, in 45 minutes for another meeting. All right. So we should be Hopefully, there's a lot I want to ask. So if we don't, though, we just have to schedule another time because there I you go. This will be a good time. So part part two. Part two. I always continue the conversations. Well, I like to do. Why well, stop it? Always continuing. I love it. So, I love it. Let's just start off with some simple stuff. Anything exciting happened recently in life for you? Hmm. Well, uh, anything exciting happening in our lives? Yes, we uh, just welcomed a. Uh, we have two kids. Um, my husband, Jarrett, and I, we've been married for about uh, uh, 26 years. We have two high school kids. Uh, Elijah is a junior. Gigi is a freshman. And we just added another uh, high schooler to our family. Right. Um, long story short, uh, a kid that needed a home, needed a family. And um, mm -hmm. we felt called and compelled by God. Um, and oh. so... Yeah, we uh, just became a family of five, and um, yeah, he's a sophomore, and he's a great kid, and um, so all the adjustments. Oh, yeah, that's very exciting. I love kids. I'm actually a substitute teacher in my free time, so I understand oh, cool. the heart for people taking in yes. those who don't have yes. the means to do it themselves, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a heavy burden to take care of kids but somebody's got to do it <laughs> i'm lucky enough i'm a, just a substitute so i can you know take care of them and send them back to actual teachers later on that's right that's right <laughs> don't have to worry, worry about grace or anything um yeah so what what about your enneagram journey how did you discover the enneagram and what were some of your initial thoughts and feelings about it yeah Oh man, my Enneagram journey has been a while uh, of a journey. Uh, it started a number of years ago. A friend of mine first told me about it and um, my friend Doug, and he was like, hey, have you heard about this thing called the Enneagram? And I'm like, what are you talking about? No, and he's like, it's kind of like a, a better understanding of all of the different ways in which people see life. You, you know, he kind of broke it down and um it explained that it's it's a bit of a personality assessment but it's so much more it's actually a tool to uh lead people towards transformation once they better understand their type um so i was super curious uh because i'm a learner and i'm um, always interested in um you know m most people get interested in the enneagram because they're um curious about their favorite topic which is themselves Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> so they want to learn more about themselves and um so i was super curious and he said read all of the types and the one like the 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 downside like the the vice whichever number uh you read that vice you read that shadow side and you're like oh that's so me but i don't want anyone to know that that's yeah. me 
he's like, he's like, that's your number. Oh yeah. <laughs> he's like it's, it's better than any assessment you take. Uh, so I, I read about all the nine types. Um, and the first time I read the eight, I was like, yep, there is, there's no doubt about it. I am a challenger. Oh, that's, that is good. I am an eight too. So I know the heart of eights is like, for me, yes. especially is vulnerability. I hate, I've been working on it, but I hate it. It's like, uh, yeah. and then also the idea of control, which I'm going to tell you about something that bugged me with your book about that idea, but we'll get to that later. <laughs> so, but it was a great book yeah. and I love yeah. it, like I said. And I mm. just, I believe that it was great timing that I found you because I actually heard you first on Hypology Podcast with Ian Morgan Crone. Mm. That's where I heard yeah. you. Um, so yeah. I was listening to that as I was working one day and I was like, this is good because you said something in there and you said this in your book too. It was talking about how most of us really aren't here and you start realizing that you were on the door of exhaustion and tiredness and mm -hmm. you felt like the work of God was deteriorating the work of God in you. Uh, and so when you said that, I was like, one, that is totally me. Like, this is mm. a reflection of my current life. And then the next thing was like, gotta get her on the podcast. <laughs> so mm. and here we are. <laughs> so it's been a, I think that was back in the summer when that was, when okay. I first heard that. So I was like, yeah. I've, I've been yeah. very anxious to get you here. And so here we are. Mm. And so I'm going to try to use the well, time very you. wisely. You know. Absolutely. And, you know, eights have uh, a notorious way of getting themselves into settings where they exhaust themselves. Um, oh, yes. <laughs> you know, eights, eights learn that being weak is dangerous and they can't trust anyone without uh, overwhelming evidence of loyalty. That's one of the descriptors of an eight. And one of the ways that we uh, let our shadow side emerge is uh, that that idea of being weak and, and making it synonymous with weakness is, is dangerous. I should never be weak. I should never um, pause. And yet it, it leads us into a life of exhaustion. Yes. And, um, and that, that is not at all what God invited, right? He invited us to live in rhythm and that actually in our weakness, he's made strong. And so it's it's been a journey for me of understanding that actually my weakness and my my areas of tendency to overwork myself uh, actually are an invitation to pause to be still and to be present uh, because it is is the gift of this now moment where we actually get to experience all of the gift of life. Oh yes, so glad you said that because when I heard you on that podcast, I was actually. I'm a part of a worship team at James River Church um, out of Ozark, Missouri, and it's a mega church. We have four campuses, and I've been doing it four years the next month, and ever since I've been on the team, I've been every service up there singing, and I was on a sabbatical for the first time in ever during this time when I heard you, and it's like, it's so true because it was during that time when I was doing nothing but going to work and then going back home, and it's like, there's nothing for me to do, but that's when I found the most power when there was no nothing mm. on my calendar. It was just me, yeah. what was there. So that's, yeah. that's a good word. Yeah. Mm, yeah. yeah. Next thing I want to know is, what was pastoral work ministry always your go-to career? Was that like mm. in the back of your brain from a little kid to the time you actually did it? Or was there something else that you wanted to do 
and you just kind of moved into calling pastoral work. Hmm. Yeah, not at all. Uh, I, <laughs> I never would have uh, imagined myself in ministry. Uh, I grew up uh, really drawn to the performing arts. And so all things musical theater and acting and singing and, and everything, you know, that kind of went around that realm. And it wasn't until a uh, mentor in my life uh, when I was in high school actually said, hey, you know that you're a leader, right? And I was like, no. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, you're, you're a leader. Like people follow you. And um, I think that God just might want to do something with that in your life. And it was the first time that I had somebody point out that spiritual gift of leadership in my life and that that it was there for a reason and an intention that God had given it to me and that what God deposits, God wants to then see fruit come from it, right? Yeah. That that there was, there was supposed to be something to come from that gift in my life. And so, yeah, it was not at all what I thought I was going to do or wanted to do, but slowly by surely, um, I, I began to really listen to those promptings. I began to put myself in settings where my gifts could get used for ministry. And eventually I was like, wait, I, I think that guy might be right. I think that mentor might be right. I think that, um, all of these experiences have been pre preparing me to use um, these gifts for, for God's glory in, um, in a ministry setting. I am so grateful for everyone's support. Without you guys, this podcast would not be possible. But if you're not already subscribed to Enneagram Restored Podcast, don't forget to follow and subscribe to Enneagram Restored Podcast to be notified of each new episode that is released. So you found all these gifts and you used them. And I suspect as an eight, you, you just kept on using them. And I, <laughs> correct me if I'm wrong, that, that's probably what led to that moment of, all right, I've got to learn how to be present. And that was like realizing that you've used all your gifts too much and you need to take out time. Would you say that would be like kind of like that catalyst for you starting the journey of learning presentness? Yeah, you know, I would say that I have always been a person that is um, had a, a a full capacity, and so I I love to live life to the fullest, and um, I like the word yes more than I like the word no. Oh, yes, totally. uh, it just feels way better, and so I love to say yes to opportunities and uh, to believe that more is possible in oh, yes. the twenty four hour day that we've been allotted, right? Um, and I think that the, the process of a regular, yes, a diet of yes, without any kind of good restriction is what led to, uh, some burnout and some exhaustion for me. And, and I think what I really then began to realize was that, uh, you can live a life uh, all the way to the full. I mean, that's the invitation in John 10, 10, right? I've come yeah. to give life and life to the full life in abundance. Um, but the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And so often that killing, stealing, and destroying, um, we are covert partners in it, right? Oh, by, yes. by not having any limitations on ourselves and seeing the gift of limitations by not 
practicing the Sabbath, by not living in healthy rhythm, by not saying no to things that really are not our, our best offering back to God. And so, yeah, I just began to realize that I was, I was kind of living um, on a, a constant go diet and uh, it was not of service to me. And, and living that way then keeps us from the present moment. And, and I was realizing that I was here, I was going through the motions, but I wasn't really here. Yes. I was somewhere else in my mind, right? Um, my body was in the present moment, but my mind and my heart were either rehashing the past or rehearsing the future. They were going over all the things that um, had happened, or they were anticipating all the things that might happen out in the future. And, and it's just not a way to live in presence. Um, it, it's a way to to miss this now moment. It's a way to miss the people that God's put in our lives. And it's a way to miss um, being present to ourselves and to God. Yeah. I don't know what it feels like for you, but for me, like when I am present and I'm like right there and not focused on the future, not even thinking about the past, it almost feels like I'm in a movie. Like it's that sweet mm -hmm. moment of you're in a rose yeah. or like your dream moment. It's like, yeah, it feels unreal. Would you say that's the same yeah. thing for you too? Yeah, absolutely. And you know, there's something quite powerful about living in the present moment. It doesn't have to be, um, I mean, it sure is great when it's picturesque like that, right? When yeah. it's idyllic and, it, and we can see ourselves in a, in a field of roses, right? Or, or all is well. But I think the really powerful thing is that you can be present even in the midst of pain. You can Ooh. be present in the midst of difficulty. You can, and, and that's especially the deep hard work because whenever we're faced with pain or we're faced with difficulty or we're faced with a circumstance that maybe we would not have written into our story, it's an opportunity to uh, be with uh, what is instead of what was or the what ifs. Oh yeah. It's, it's truly consenting to reality and all of the spiritual life is consenting to what is being in what is with God. I had a experience uh, last week. I was, I was at a um, retreat center and they had some like high ropes courses and they had this um, exercise called out on a lamb. And it was essentially a log that was 25 feet up in the air. You were belayed into somebody that was down on the ground but there was no um, handrail to get across. It was literally just walking that 25 feet in the air across the, the log, um, truly being out on a limb. And I did it. And boy, if that isn't an exercise for the present moment, I don't know what is. <laughs> I was like, uh, it's not gonna be of any service to me if I try to rehash the past or rehearse the future. I need to be in this now moment up here on this log or I am going to fall. And it was so powerful to um, just step by step by step, be aware of my breath, be aware of the inhale, the exhale, that um, there was nowhere else to be. There was no other problem to solve. All I had to do was be in that moment with, with myself and with yeah. God. And it was just such a reminder to me that what's here now um, is, is such an unlocking question of experiencing the gift of the present moment. Oh, so good. And I, 
I'm trying to think how you can trademark that because like the log you, that's got to be a part of it you should have put that in the book that, that was amazing <laughs> I mean yeah you think about the future you think about the past you're going to fall off that log so that's exactly that's exactly so, true but I, like I said I, I love your book for the most part there's one chapter I didn't really like but we'll talk about that in a minute um, it, was, it was still a good chapter it's just it talked I, to it caught I me love, out too much I so, love an honest uh, honest review so um just honestly like I try to read three chapters of a book within an hour and a half because that's about as long as I can focus. But your book yeah. was one of the books where like I just had to force myself to put it down and not read it all at one time. Mm. <laughs> it was mm. that good. I'm like, really? No, you got to put this down. You got to, <laughs> if you keep reading, you're going to lose focus. I'm like, no, I'm not. Like, I want to read the rest of this mm. book tonight. It was just that mm. good. And so on page 132, you were talking about how you're part of a group. And I want to read this quote so we can talk about it a little bit. You write, I didn't know any of the other members, and the leader was an acquaintance from many years ago. I felt conflicted about what I wanted from this group. One part of me wanted this group to continue to feed the automatic part of me that wanted to impress and inspire others. But my authentic self was craving real and wanted this group to enfold and hold me just as I was. I was hungry for a circle where there would be no charades, no masks, and no pretending. I wanted the scaffolding holding me together to come down and I wanted to drink and the nourishment of being known. While I was hoping to experience this kind of vulnerability with the group, I was also aware of the risk and cost associated with it. The risk of not being impressive, the risk of being ordinary, the risk of not being received and loved for who I am. What if they really saw me and didn't want to keep seeing me? What if they thought I mm -hmm. wasn't smart enough, hadn't accomplished enough, hadn't accrued enough wealth and didn't offer enough value to the group? That was, gosh, probably the most relatable part for me in that book. Mm. It was like powerful yeah. moment. I just had, mm. just had to sit because it's powerful to see that. And so mm. I want to yeah. go deep into that, but let's just start off at the surface level. What is the difference between the automatic self and the authentic self? Yeah. Yeah, I, lo I love your question. And I, um, I remember writing that section. And I, I remember, um, you know, recounting the experience of, of joining that group where um, everything in me wanted, everything in me wanted to live in my deepest authentic self. But I was so practiced in the automatic self. Um, I was so practiced in, um, like I write, and I think all humans are, uh, in the charades, in the masks, in the being impressive, in the pretending. Um, but we all desire um, to be seen. And I, I think I even write later in that chapter, hiding all the time is a terrible way to live. It keeps you from the present and from living as your true, authentic self. And, you know, um, the automatic self, I, I, I write about the, the different cycle, you know, when when you're living in the automatic self, in, in some ways, you're, you're looking to receive acceptance through your achievements. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm going to do something. Hopefully people are going to uh, say, well done. They're going to receive me for that achievement. And I'm going to feel significant because of it. It's going to make me feel like I'm, I'm important. And and then what happens when that starts to wane, when that starts to decrease just ever so slightly, it's like, well, I want to get that feeling back. I want to sustain that feeling 
of achievement and significance. So how do I sustain that strength so that I feel accepted again? That's the pathway of the automatic self. It's where the ego gets developed, right? It's where personas get developed. Uh, But the the beautiful part of the authentic self, the true self, uh, the, the person that we fully are when when we are all the way um, whole with God, with ourselves, is we actually start from a place of acceptance. We start from a place of not because of anything that I've done, not because of anything that I'm going to do, not because of the color of my hair or the grades next to my name or the achievements that I have performed in this life, but because of who I am, son, daughter of God, I am accepted. And that acceptance is what I actually find strength from. That's what sustains me. That's what fuels me. That's what gives me hope, right? And when I have that sustaining strength, that's where I find my significance. That's, That's where I know this is what I am called to do and to be in this life. And that's where I actually achieve and live on purpose with God. And so it's actually a really beautiful thing to see the reverse cycle, um, that it starts with acceptance when we live in that cycle of grace from our authentic selves. That is so good. Mm-hmm. I, you know, we see people portray characters on the screen all the time, but I think the greatest screenplay we see is just reality humans being Mm -hmm. different from who they truly are and i am the first to say i am guilty of that (laughs) like i have so much of my true self because i I think either it's not valuable at the moment or if i show my true self people see me as weak because i'm the person who Mm -hmm. people come to for advice for a life i'm like i can't i feel like i can't be the person who needs advice when i give the advice and it's that again authentic self and being vulnerable enough to say hey we are human beings Uh, first Mm -hmm. and foremost we are child of the living god daughter Mm -hmm. son of him and so that's just so well said yeah Um, yeah and i would say you know the interesting thing is is that um we all think that what people are drawn to is perfection but they're not what we're actually drawn to is imperfection because in imperfection we see authentic vulnerability and and we're more drawn to oh you're just like me imperfect figuring it out in need of grace um and and we're more compelled to step into relationship with somebody that's imperfect versus somebody that presents themselves as perfect that's good but we don't think we are <laughs> a lot of times we always right, think we're, right. we're like we've got to find that perfect person who's no flaws you know um that perfect friend who shows Mm -hmm. who has everything Mm -hmm. together keep up with the jefferson Mm -hmm. not jefferson's Mm -hmm. but um (laughs) forget the saying keep up with the um it it, i forget what it's saying but it's like you got to keep up with the person who has the most things who life looks put together the most so that's that's good i never thought of it but i like how you said yeah so like i said i've been in college for five years um February marks my fourth year of being on worship team at James River Church. Um, so I've made different friend groups throughout both college and church and been w- with different people. And I get a comment all the time of people saying, Braylon, I don't really know who you are. And mm. the first time it somebody said it to me, I was like, 
Yes, you do. I am a podcaster. I'm an interior designer. I do mm-hmm. this evangel. I'm on worship team at James River. I'm like, how do you not know who I am when I broadcast it all mm-hmm. the time? I got to start thinking. I was like, do they really know me? These are just titles. These are yeah. things I like mm-hmm. to do. And so now every time somebody says, I'm like, you know what? You don't know me. You're not wrong. Yeah. Um, and yeah. hopefully one day you can know me, but you got to work on that. Yeah. So, yeah. You know, the, um, the virtue. So every Enneagram number has a vice and a virtue and, you know, it's, it's who we are in the light and who we are in the dark and yeah. uh, the eight when they're in the light are vulnerable and innocent. That's our virtue, innocence. And when I think about innocence, I actually think about just a vulnerable child that is willing to, you know, let themselves fully be seen exactly for who they are. And so anytime an eight chooses vulnerability, anytime an eight chooses to let themselves be seen and, and to be vulnerable is to let uh, parts of ourselves that we yes. don't want to be seen, seen, right? Um, it's, is growth for the eight. That is, that is them walking in the light. So you having uh, the right people in your world that can regularly say, Braylon, I'm getting to know more and more of who you are. Uh, that's a sign of growth. Mm-hmm. That's a sign of transformation. But a thing for me, and I suspect it'd be a thing for a lot of other people too, is um, cognitively, I'm like, all right, the cost and risk that you that you talk about of being known, I'm okay with in my mind. <laughs> but yeah, in of practice, course, of course, it's like, oh, nope, nope. Let's go back to just putting on this charade of just being right, right, yeah, public figure. Yeah. And so yeah. how do you encourage yourself to stay vulnerable and not to pretend? Mm, yeah, I think for me, um, some of that work is, um, and, and even in the book, I, I give this little graph of what it looks like to be in the automatic self and then what it looks like to be in the authentic self. And I kind of even um, give descriptions, right? The thoughts, the actions, and the words of the automatic self, and then the thoughts, actions, and words of the authentic self. And so anytime I notice any one of those things, like, for example, um, you know, the, the automatic self uh, really is um, looking to be right. You know, anytime I'm really looking to be right about something, I'm like, hmm, what's going on here? Are, are you really present in this now moment? Or is there something from the past that you're trying to prove or something out in the future that you're trying to prove and you're doing it through righteousness, your own mm-hmm. righteousness, right? You, you desperately want to be right. So I pay attention to that thought. An action maybe um, could be anytime I'm, I'm feeling overwhelmed, right? That's a that's an indicator to me that I'm not in this now moment. Anxiety, overwhelmedness, um, obsessing about things in the future. Worry is living in a not yet that's worse than your now. It's the very definition of worry. There's some kind of not yet that hasn't happened yet, but I'm making it even worse in my mind than my now moment, right? right. Um, that's usually an indicator to me that I'm not being present or, or then words. Whenever I find myself saying like things like I should or I can't, it's hard, it's not my fault. Th- things like that, those are all indicators to me 
of the automatic self that I'm that I'm not really here in this now moment. But when I can breathe, when I am experiencing peace, um, it's like uh, this mistake that occurred is an opportunity for learning. So I'm 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 not looking at it through the lens of shame. I'm not looking through the lens of blame. I'm actually looking through the lens of curiosity and learning. Um, I realize I'm grounded in this now moment. I'm actually receiving the gift of even this mistake that I, I don't want anyone to know about it. There must be something for me to learn in it. Um, actions like um, I'm going to just have uh, appreciation for yeah. others and for what they bring or what they don't bring into my life. Instead of wanting to change them or adjust them or have them be different, I'm going to just bring appreciation into this relationship. Words like um, how can I grow? What can I learn? Um, you know, I'm choosing to do this versus um, I should do this. Uh, I, I try to turn should into I can. Like e even something as simple as like I should do the laundry too. I can. I I, I get to do the laundry. And then there's not obligation, right? There there's not that force. There's there's actually healthy responsibility and choosing into this now moment. Um, those are some little signs of me knowing. Okay, I'm I'm really here. And I'm and I'm I'm practicing presence. Ooh, that's good. I might have to steal that laundry one because ooh, when it comes to getting laundry done, nobody I'm the likes worst to do it, right? <laughs> like I've got clothes I washed last week still in the basket because I haven't put them away. Put them away. So I'm like, <laughs> I can't put them away. I'm gonna start saying it. Yeah, Hope it'll get done. Totally. So. <laughs> it's just a, it's a different way of viewing it, right? It's a totally different lens. Should is um you know it, it's a it's a feeling of you've done something wrong i should mm, I, uh you know and there's some condemnation in that um versus i can i get to i choose to um this is a privilege there's people in the world that don't get to do laundry i get to do laundry and, and i'm gonna be a good steward of of these things you know and, and it's just yeah. it's a small it's a small way to shift and a activity that we all do, uh, which is laundry. That's so good. So good. You know, it seems like it was just yesterday when I was planning on announcing that I was starting a podcast all about the eating ground. But it's been two years already. I mean, come on, man. It is just so unreal how much time flies. But I just want to take a moment out to say thank you for being an avid listener of Enneagram Restored Podcast. And although we're already in season three, this podcast is just getting started. So grab a cup of coffee and your journal and let's go on a journey of restoration together. So, like I said, I like the entire book, but there is one chapter chapter 10 <laughs> <laughs> that I probably say I was not my favorite probably the least favorite honestly because well when I got to it and I saw a title which is waiting and control waiting rooms I was like this is going to be a good chapter then I start reading I was like <laughs> I don't like this chapter at all yep, it's calling me out too yep. much <laughs> so, like because there I don't like attaching the word hate to a lot of things but if there's two things I hate the most it's waiting and not having control of over life yep. common symptom yep. of ace across the board is you know we have yep. to have control mm -hmm. and if we don't we feel like again we're weak or yeah we yeah. are too invulnerable um and so you talked about a process and they're with the releasing and the responding and renewing mm -hmm. 
Um, yeah. I should have wrote this down so I could t talk about it a little bit here, but kind of talk about that process a little bit. And then if you would, any advice that you would give for somebody who might be stuck in one of the phases of that process because yeah. i find myself stuck yeah. in releasing a lot of times where i give it to god but then i'm like mm -hmm. i know you can take care of it but i've got to take it back so yeah 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 I, I mean i i write in the book that when god invites us to wait he also invites us to release our will and um you know it's it's part of the prayer that jesus taught us to pray your will be done yeah and um i'm really good at genie's will be done um, I'm really good at saying to God, Hey, this is my, this is my will. This is what I'd like you to do. Could you just fall in line with this? But that's not what we're taught to pray, right? We're taught to release. And so much of, of the spiritual life with God is to consent to reality and to surrender. And anytime, anytime we are clutching, grabbing, forcing, um, you know, wrapping our fingers around, this is how life must go. It is almost undoubtedly an invitation that there is something that you are holding on to that needs to be released. Um, and so that first process when it comes to waiting and control is just releasing. And, and sometimes it's um, just naming and getting clear on what are the things that I'm holding on to? What is in a tight grip right now? And just naming them. Um, you don't even need to start with releasing them. Some of us just need to start with naming them and getting clear and conscious about what is it that I'm holding on to. Um, and, and then from there uh, is, is the action of responding. Um, and, and I write this, I use this little quote from Eugene Peterson that says, the assumption of spirituality is that always God is doing something before I know it. So the task is not to get God to do something. I think needs to be done, but to become aware of what God is doing so that I can respond to it and participate and take delight in it. Now, this is extra hard for the eight because we like to make things happen. Oh yeah. But what this what this step is, is it's going, God's already at work. God's already at work. My invitation is to join where God is already at work. It's not to make it all happen. It's not to force it all together. It's to respond to where the Holy Spirit is already moving. And then the ongoing regular step of renewing um, is to uh, just, you know, to allow yourself to have the raw, real, and honest confessions of uh, what is working, what isn't working. You know, uh, God wants us to come as we are not come polished and, and perfect and all put together. And so much of the process of renewal, we have to be able to bring the fullness of ourselves so that God can renew us. And so, yeah, I, I write about the, how those three really um, work with one another. Yeah. And it's, I like when I read that, it, it was kind of hard to understand first when I read it, I had to read it had to go back and think about it because I think the reason why it was hard to understand is because I just don't like giving up control. So I was like, you know what, maybe yeah. I understand what it's saying. I just don't want to accept it. And that's what this entire yeah. chapter was for me. It's like, I understood everything, yeah. but like Braylon just did not want to accept it because it was so true. Mm -hmm. 
I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think the reason that I called it waiting and control is because anytime, anytime we're holding on to control, God's most um, consistent methods to help us release that control is to invite us to wait. It's all throughout the scriptures, right? David talked about waiting on the Lord over and over and over again. And uh, spiritual waiting is not uh, a lack of activity. In fact, spiritual waiting is one of the most active things that occurs. Um, but it's hard for those of us that are um, generators of, of oh, motion, yeah. right? Yeah. You know, we have this mentality as ace get it done and you know if we mm -hmm. have to wait it's like why wait when i know i have the full capabilities that's of right. doing it myself you know that's I, right. I can that's right. work something out to make the money come in i can take another job yeah. i can do this yeah. i, I mm -hmm. can make more time in the schedule to have more social feelings social right. things with my friends right. you know uh, it's, yeah and productivity isn't bad productivity is 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 good right it's um it's taking this one precious life and, yeah. and living it to the full, fullest. Um, but it is also um, when we use that as a way to avoid participating in what yeah. God is really inviting us to do. And I, that's I what we have to pay a, attention to. I think that's a key point where, like you said, we have to pay attention to that. It's like, are we using our productivity to actually be productive or are we using it to avoid life, avoid yeah. presentness? So that's a good word. Um, mm. So I kind of skipped ahead in my notes a little bit, but I want to go back to um, what um, some scripture, your go-to scripture, you talked about one that invites you to um, be present, but do you have more scripture that invites you to be present? Mm, yeah. I often will go to Proverbs 3 um, because it's an active opportunity to trust in the Lord with all your heart. And, you know, the, the questions are around what's here now are, um, what am I sensing in my body? What am I feeling in my heart? What am I thinking in my mind? And when I ask myself those questions, you know, I, I pay attention to the answers. It pulls me back into this now moment. And the reason I like to use trust in the Lord with all your heart, don't lean on your own understanding, but in all of your ways, acknowledge him and he'll direct your steps. It really does also walk you through the question what's here now right yeah. trust in the lord with all your heart what's going on in my heart like is, is my heart afraid um am i am i feeling fear am i feeling nervous am i feeling anxious am i feeling excited am i feeling hopeful right what's what's here in my heart um, don't lean on your own understanding right that's that's all about your mind what what are you thinking what are you processing what are you yeah. rolling over again and again and again? What conversation did you have with somebody last week that you're still replaying, right? Or that happened uh, not just last week, but last year or two years ago, right? Um, and so what's your mind doing from a like understanding uh, perspective and how can you have God renew your mind, right? The scriptures talk about renewing our minds. And so how can I not just come to whatever it is that I'm contemplating with my understanding, but God, give me your understanding um, and you will direct my steps. And, and from there, it's like, what am I sensing in my body? Wh where is God calling me to move? Where is God calling me to participate in his 
his movement in my life. And so that's a go-to passage for me that I love to come back to, uh, especially because somebody just like you that uh, struggles with control, trust is the letting go of control. Um, You know, just like when I walked across that uh, log, that story I, I shared earlier, you know, it was a, it was a real trust that I can do this. I'm, I'm going to trust one that I'm belayed into somebody else. And so if I fall from 25 feet, they, they will step in, but I'm going to trust that if I go slowly, if all I do is concentrate on my steps, one in front of the other, uh, that I, I have what is needed to move forward. You know, um, Faith is being hopeful of what we cannot see. Trust is being hopeful of what we cannot see. And most of us, we like insurance instead of assurance. Oh yes. Uh, but when we when we live in assurance, we're walking in trust that God sees all that we don't see, um, and is for us, and is with us, and is guiding us step by step. Oh, that's so good. Insurance versus assurance. I'm gonna start using that. That I like that. <laughs> Don't get insurance, get assurance. That That's should be right. like Geico's That's new right. line. Save 15% more go. on insurance. <laughs> so, uh, well, we're kind of getting close to time. So um, we talked about a lot already. Um, but what I want to know, is there anything that we have not talked about that you want to talk about? Mm, yeah, thanks so much. You know, I just would invite anyone that's listening um, to be reminded that it is possible to be present. It is possible. You know, we have so many things that are vying for our attention. Um, Probably one of the biggest is these little gadgets I'm holding at my cell phone, right? Um, And I think that so many of us let those phones be the boss of us instead of us being the boss of our phones. (laughs) Um, You know, you you can, (laughs) your phone is not your boss. Um, you are the boss of your phone. You are the boss of your time. You are the boss of what you let in. Um, and learning how to live in presence is possible, but it takes practice. Um, you know, the, the spiritual life that we're invited into is a praxis life. We are to practice being in the presence of God. And, you know, the, the beautiful thing about God's presence is that it's always available. There, there's no like special place that we need to go to. There, there's no special thing that we need to conjure God's presence. God's presence is always available. We're just the ones that aren't always available to God's presence. Oh, yeah. And I would say to anyone that's listening, uh, God is wherever you are. He is with you and for you. And oftentimes you're the one that's not there and being present. And so I would encourage you to pause, to, um, to rest, to just ask yourself that question. What's here now? What am I feeling in my heart? What am I thinking in my mind? What am I sensing in my body? And those three questions are a, an invitation to return to this now moment. Um, it's an invitation to experience peace. We cannot experience the peace of God without practicing the presence of God. And I don't know a person that isn't looking for some more peace in their life. Um, I think all of us oh, yeah. want some more peace. Especially and those nines out there. Yep. Right. <laughs> so, Absolutely. Um, yeah. 
this has been great. I know we're getting close to time. So I just want, I'm definitely going to figure out more questions to put together because we're going to have to do this again someday. <laughs> um, so mm. I'm definitely going to be working real hard on that soon. Uh, but just kind of some rapid fire questions that I want to ask you before we go. Um, what the first one is, what does the Enneagram mean to you? Mm. Yeah, the Enneagram to me, I said it earlier, it's a tool for transformation. It's a tool to better understand myself, to better understand um, the people that God's put in my life. And it's a, it's a tool for growth. Uh, it's not a tool to just go, well, I'm an eight. So, you know, you just better deal with the fact that I like control. It's, it's an opportunity actually for me to transform and to pay attention to how might control shift in my life. Oh. That's so good. That's that's the entire tagline of my podcast. At the end of every episode, <laughs> I say the Enneagram does not define you, but it brings restoration. It helps reshape your thinking yeah. and habits. So that is just, ugh, I like that. Uh, and that's the reason why I yeah. started this podcast, because when I discovered the Enneagram, it was that thing people saying, all right, this is who I am. Just deal with it. I'm like, I don't think that's yeah. what it is. So, um, no, no. The next question, uh, if you go back in time, you, what would you tell the younger you? Mm, that's a great question. I would say um, it's all going to be okay. Ooh. It's going to be okay. You're okay. God's at work. Um, yeah, enjoy. Enjoy the ride. Even the pain. Even the pain is here to teach you and to grow you and to transform you. That's a word right there. Pain transforms. Mm-hmm. Next sermon. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, you know, I, I would just say, um, you know, I ask people, talk to, tell me about the most transforming seasons or moments of your life. Do you know what people always talk about? Painful moments. Hmm. They talk about painful moments. It's it's a um, it's a it's a ripe curriculum where we are um, our eyes and our ears and our hearts are wide open to God. What are you doing? It's true because I mean, even looking in the Bible to David when he was hidden in the cave all those years mm-hmm. trying to not be killed by King Saul, he was transformed yeah. by that. And look how he came out. Yeah. Job. Absolutely. The greatest example. Absolutely. Lost everything. Totally. And totally. got seven times more what he had. So that's um, right. That's right. One thing you hope to accomplish in the next three months. Hmm. I'm starting to work on my next book proposal. So I'm hoping to get that done. All right. <laughs> so that's a big goal. I <laughs> don't know what that's like at all. Cause I don't, I've published some journals, but I've done it self-published. So it's been a little bit easier. So I've heard, but I heard that book publishing proposals are, can be a pain though. So I'll be praying for you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So, and last question. Um, because I've been binge watching a lot of TV shows lately. Um, what is a binge worthy TV series you've been watching? Mm, uh, my husband and I just started one called the rest of us. Oh. Um, it's, it's very interesting. Uh, it's called the rest of us. And basically there's kind of like a interesting um, pandemic that um, very different from the one that we all just walked <laughs> through with COVID um, that ends up um you know, destroying so many lives. And yet there's a handful of people that survived and how do they live through this thing? So it's a really interesting show. Uh, I'm gonna have to check it out. Is it Netflix? I think it's Netflix. Netflix. Okay. 
I'm gonna check it out. I think I've heard of it, but check it out, be sure. I'm always yeah, just into started. new shows. Um, I yeah, my favorite show recently has been Abbott Elementary. So, oh, I'll have to. I've heard about that. I'll have to watch yeah. that. To me, is I've never really watched a lot of The Office, but it seems like a elementary school version of The Office. So okay, it's okay. very that's funny. Great. So um, that's awesome. That's good. Well, I think that's all the time we have. All things we've had time for today. So, like I said, though, I had to schedule another one because this was good. A lot mm, of good stuff said. Thank so. you. Thank you. It's such a joy to be on the show. And thanks for asking me. Thank you for being here. Well, again, thank you for joining us for today's conversation. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And I again, want to say thank you to Gene for having the time to sit down with me and have this conversation is a very important conversation. And I hope that everybody who's listening or watching this podcast um, on YouTube will glean some tip or some idea to take away and to implement into your life as you learn how to stay present. Because one thing I've learned in the, since I've been on this journey of staying present is that's the most benefit. We, we tend to go, we tend to have so much anxiety for the future and so much anxiety for everything. But I've learned that all my problems become more, the solutions to my problem become more um, visible when I just stay present. It's not about how can I work the problem out, but it's what's here now. As I answer that question for myself, I've learned that my solutions to my problems become more visible. But I also want to encourage you before we end this episode to get a copy of her book, because if you have not read it, it is a powerful book. Um, it's a very relatable book. And I just, you need to get it now. Um, again, if you have not read What's Here Now, How to Stop Rehashing the Past and Rehearsing the Future and Start Receiving the Present, you need to grab a copy now. I am going to put a link to purchase it from Amazon in the show notes, but you can find it at Barnes & Noble, um, I think Walmart. It's pretty much in every place where books are sold. Um, you need this book. It is life-changing. You need to read it now. It doesn't cost that much, so go to click the link in the show notes and buy it from Amazon today so it comes in within the next couple of days so you can start reading. It's a very powerful book. Um, but I'm also going to put a link to Jean's website and her Instagram in the show notes. Be sure to check out her website and follow her on Instagram. Again, thank you for listening. Also, don't miss next week's episode. Uh, we're still taking a break from the 27 subtype series, um, and next week, I'm going to talk about the harmonic groups of the Enneagram in which the harmonic groups is how each type handles conflict. So you don't want to miss that. It's going to be an all-encompassing episode because we're going to talk about what the harmonic group is to begin with. And then we're also going to talk about each of the nine types within the harmonic group and how that splits and how that works out and how each type handles conflicts differently. Um, also, don't forget to follow and subscribe to Enneagram Start Podcast on Instagram, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Um, and if you listen to this podcast on Apple, please leave a review, rate and review, because when you do that, it helps the discoverability of this podcast. Um, I appreciate you guys so much for listening and joining in. And as always, if you know this, you can say along with me, because I've been saying this since episode one of this podcast back in March 2021. It's the way I've been closing out the podcast, and I will continue to close it out this way. I want you to remember that the Enneagram doesn't define you, but it does bring restoration. It helps reshape your thinking and habits.